This is the Mathematics Education Podcast from MathEdPodcast.com. Welcome to the MathEd Podcast. My name is Chuck Munter, an assistant professor of mathematics education at the University of Missouri. In this episode, we present the fifth edition of our digest format, in which we summarize several recent research studies or other activities in the field, rather than providing an in-depth interview focused on just one. To help accomplish this goal, we extended an invitation to all listeners to become contributors, who submit brief summaries and interpretations of recent works that they are interested in. Here, we offer three such entries. First, Kim Morrow leong will discuss the keynote address at this year's TOTOS conference, It was given by Maria del Rosario Zavala and was entitled Embracing Personal and Professional Disequilibrium in a Quest for Social Justice in Mathematics Education. Next, I will share a summary of the NCTM Research Committee's report in the July issue of Journal for Research in Mathematics Education on asset-based approaches to equitable mathematics education research and practice, including portions of my conversation with the two lead authors of the report. As listeners may remember, in our previous Digest episode, Kara Haynes read excerpts of Jeremy Kilpatrick's review in JRME of the new Compendium for Research in Mathematics Education. This time, she closes the episode with excerpts from another, perhaps less favorable, review from Narita Ellerton, published in the September issue of Educational Studies in Mathematics. We hope you enjoy this fifth Digest episode, and, as always, welcome suggestions and contributions from listeners. Dr. Maria del Rosario Zafala delivered the opening keynote for the TOLOS 2018 conference this past June with a call to action for each conference goer in service of social justice in mathematics. But this attendee took away a broader call to the mathematics education community in general, recalling the unexpected political upheaval and the unrelenting sting of social media attacks in the fall of 2017 and in the winter of 2018, Dr. Safalas' keynote counters the harsh rhetoric with a call to uplift and support each other in the work that we do. The theme of the Todos Mathematics for All conference was moving from awareness to action, and Dr. Safalas' keynote provides a blueprint. Identity is at the core of Dr. Zavalas's work. At the center of identity is the individual's own confidence and sense of efficacy, in this case, in mathematics. Radiating out from the center are the mathematical identities that students construct and co-construct within schools and classrooms. This identity is closely linked with practice, an idea originally attributed to Nasir and Hand. Outside, but also within the classroom, other aspects of identity also come to play in the formation of student identity, including race, gender, language, and more. Safala gives a vivid example of the tenacity of the racial narratives held by one focus group of Latinx students and the stereotypes that came from that. One student, Luis, referred to how smart 
he judged students to be, based on minimal information on the distribution of grades, when he said, I believe that Asians are, meaning smart, but not white people. No offense, but I'm not sure. In her own words, Safala says, Master narratives are out there in the world about the kind of people we should be, influence the kind of people we are. Racialized narratives of success and failure in mathematics play a role in how students of color see themselves. Do I fit the stereotype or do I challenge it? End quote. The same narratives can play into the educator's own constellation of identities as we each work to find our role in achieving a more just society. Indeed, each individual offers something different to the work of striving towards social justice in mathematics education. Safala invites the conference-goer to conceptualize the challenges of social justice mathematics around three central ideas, reclaiming, rehumanizing, and respecting mathematics. Reclaiming mathematics is centered on acknowledging that every person's relationship with mathematics matters. This is true for Safalis's work with pre-service teachers who explore their past math trauma through poems and dialogue. Reclaiming mathematics is also about curriculum. In an example from work done with a fourth-grade teacher in East Oakland, California, Safada describes the School Outside Space Design Project, an initiative that gave students the opportunity to use and learn mathematics to repurpose an outside area of the school. The evidence of students reclaiming mathematics was in the ownership of their own ideas and the energy they put into their collaborative projects. It was also evident in the teachers, who found their role as leaders and advisors to students preferable to the rigid march through a textbook. Cephalus' accounts of attempts to rehumanize mathematics classrooms is conflicted. NCTM's 2018 Annual Perspectives in Mathematics Education volume outlines success stories. In this volume, Gutierrez's Eight Steps for Rehumanizing Mathematics Classrooms also provides guidance. But Safala muses on how this can be possible in a public school system founded on colonialism and racism. Even in the successful algebra project in Baltimore, reconciling the existing system with an unconventional rethinking of the mathematics classroom in the end proved not to be possible at least yet. Homeschooling, charter schools, and parochial schools are often considered flawed but viable alternatives for some communities seeking to rehumanize mathematics. Respecting mathematics refers to how society regards mathematics. A California State University system policy changed eliminated the requirement for intermediate algebra for students in a non-STEM major, citing dismal credit transfer rates from state community colleges. The desired effect was to eliminate a barrier, which it achieved to some degree. The policymakers did not, however, ascertain why the pass rates were so low for this course and did not instead explore options for improving the courses. But the policy change also perpetuated a recurrent problem. 
students continued to be sorted into STEM and non-STEM majors based on performance in a single course. This can be problematic for STEM students of color. Safala shows us that the move denigrates mathematics as well. And she says, from this perspective, the policy could be seen as disrespecting mathematics because it reinforces elitism that mathematics is only for certain people, not all students, end quote. Safala reminds us that disequilibrium is the root of all learning and that productive struggle is motivating. If you aren't struggling, you aren't learning. Leaning hard into the disequilibrium is like venturing into a deep pit. It's a move that shapes and reforms perspectives and causes us to question what we thought was clear and self-evident. Surrounding ourselves with those who have different perspectives perhaps those who are closer to the communities in our schools, makes the jump a risk that is worth taking. Safala's advice for the conference is fourfold, but it can also be advice for our research and educational work in general. First, dig deep for the purpose of your work. Second, take risks. Third, embrace disequilibrium and engage in productive struggle. And finally, this is a call to lift each other up. I would like to end with a note about the Math Ed Collective at mathedcollective.wordpress.com. The Math Ed Collective was formed to give scholars and educators the tools and support they need to fight back against the personal and professional attacks mentioned in the opening. If you find yourself the target of a barrage of verbal or digital attacks, the Math Ed Collective has advice and resources that you can use to protect yourself. Similarly, if colleagues find themselves in the position of defending against attacks on their academic integrity, there are letter templates as well as guidance on how you can support a colleague. Again, that's mathedcollective.wordpress.com. Hello, this is Chuck Munter again. In their July issue earlier this year, the editorial staff of Journal for Research in Mathematics Education published a report by the NCTM Research Committee. The committee's reports have been an annual entry in the journal since 2004, when Ed Silver was the editor, and when the Research Advisory Council was redubbed the Research Committee, and used its inaugural JRME report to present a call for a research agenda. This year's report, the 15th since 2004, was authored by Sylvia Celedon Petitis, Lisa Lenny Borden, Stephen Pape, Doug Clements, Susan Peters, Joshua Mayles, Olive Chapman, and Jacqueline Leonard. The title of the report is Assets Based Approaches to Equitable Mathematics Education Research and Practice. An asset based approach, as the authors define it, is, quote, grounded in the belief that students, families, and communities' ways of knowing, including their language and culture, serve as intellectual resources and contribute greatly to the teaching and learning of high-quality mathematics, end quote. Second author Lisa Lenny Borden from St. Francis Xavier University in Nova Scotia describes some of the motivation. We have seen lots and lots of research over the years on math education that looks at 
um, children through a deficit lens and it basically is aimed at trying to fix children or trying to improve their achievement and um, without kind of critically examining what it is that we're trying to improve their achievement in. The first author, Sylvia Celedon Petichis from the University of New Mexico, explained that a key intention of the report was to build on last year's research committee report on equity within mathematics education research as a political act by providing key examples of projects that have taken asset-based approaches. One piece that we wanted to do was to try to highlight or to provide at least two examples of work that has been funded by NSF and that uses an asset-based, assets-based approaches to, to, to teacher preparation. In this case, um, we highlighted the Teach Math um, group um, that does proper integration of community knowledge, funds of knowledge, and children's mathematical thinking in preparing, doing work with pre-K through eight teacher preparation, and also the AIMS project. So we really side more as this is an opportunity for us to go a bit beyond and to try to see how this might play out in different work that people are doing. There are some people who don't necessarily see their work as equity work. Right. And so yeah. I think, you know, Sylvia and I and others might argue that everybody's work is equity work. If you take the time to think about how, how you're addressing that, right? One role that the research committee plays is in overseeing the annual NCTM research conference. Lisa said that the reason the NCTM Research Conference has started to ask submitters whether their proposals address issues of equity is because it forces you to think about that. You know, the whole notion of kind of um, when, I, when we talk about systemic inequity, it's because we never we never question sort of what's been normalized and what's been marginalized. And so by asking people to think about the question it compels them then to do some of that critical examination. Like, is my work promoting some kind of greater equity? And I would argue that probably a lot of work is promoting equity, but people just aren't thinking of it through that lens. Early in the report, the authors seemed to distinguish between complex instruction and detracking, as exemplified by the work of Joe Bowler, and a, quote, more critical approach, citing Rochelle Gutierrez and Lori Rubel. I ask them how they see the asset-based approach for which they are advocating in this report as relating to either of those two other approaches. This is Lisa. When we think about asset-based approaches, it's not just helping kids to get better at kind of school math as it is, but actually then changing the game to borrow from Gutierrez's expression, helping students to see that we can actually change and transform what we mean by mathematics or what we mean by being mathematically competent or capable or um, successful for whatever that means. So for me, my work, it really is about, um, we didn't use this term in the article, but it's about decolonizing, decolonizing math education. And so the notion of kind of allowing for diverse voices and diverse ways of knowing to come into play. And so when we look at asset-based approaches and when we really understand the ways of knowing, being, and doing that are embedded in community and how they might help us to think differently about mathematical reasoning or problem solving. Um, it allows us to open up the field of mathematics. So the stuff around complex instruction and things like that, that really help kids get better at math as it is, are great. But we also want those pieces that help kids to 
um, have a strong sense of identity and, and to see mathematics for the possibilities of drawing from their own cultural context to use their own ways of reasoning to solve problems in the world, um, which, which is a more of a critical focus. I suggested that the language of decolonization and changing the game of what we do in school math, for me, did not come through strongly in the report. I asked whether they thought I had misinterpreted it or whether those ideas just didn't make the cut. They offered two explanations, one pragmatic. So we're always limited on the number of words and decolonizing mathematics education would be like a whole other commentary. That's the way I see it. And one more developmental. It's kind of, it's kind of like the shift is sort of incremental maybe. And so this begins <laughs> to get us to a place where people are recognizing that we need to see the assets in communities. We need to, to value the knowledge systems that are coming from communities as a starting point for this kind of asset-based research. Mm -hmm. And then from there, we can maybe move people along to see, hey, when you value these assets, not only are kids more successful in mathematics, but they're also able to contribute to the field of mathematics in new and interesting ways. So, In other words, they frame this report as a first step in achieving the broader vision laid out by last year's research committee's report on equity within mathematics education research as a political act. At the end of their report, they point to five areas for continued and future research. I asked whether they see any of these as being more difficult than the others. Sylvia pointed to the second one, which is a, quote, call for more asset-based research that embraces and sustains culturally responsive and relational pedagogy and expands our understanding of cultural ways of knowing as well as the impact of such work, which requires educators building relationships with communities and coming to understand ways of knowing and doing mathematics within these communities, end quote. The one that comes to mind, because we are asking the mathematics education research community to learn the context, right? So that's not an easy piece to do. And we acknowledge that it's not, it's not easy work. And that's why many researchers use this prepackaged, it's ready to go. These are the interventions. We're going to go in and do the, do something onto the community, mm -hmm. right? It's not getting to know anything about the community than itself or the students in that community. Um, so that work, that work itself takes time. Lisa added, In order to do real equity work, that, that relationship building is important. And it's, it's one of those issues, I think, with the nature of uh, academic institutions and funding agencies that yeah. expect quick turnaround, yeah. uh, that, that it is, it's problematic. So I think that's a real challenge, not just for researchers, but to the entire system. Um, right. To, rethink how do we do this equity work well we often hear from communities like in my work i hear from communities all the time well they they have this six month grant and they want us to come in and and do something and make change and, and you know it takes six months just to sit and have conversation about where we are they quote call the mathematics education research community toward an understanding of equitable practices based on asset-based approaches and also challenge the mathematics education research community to consider a systems approach when thinking about the complexities and nuances of inequitable practices, end quote. When we think about asset-based approaches and thinking about the system, we're working within this Eurocentric system that favors a certain way of knowing. Mm -hmm. And so what we really need to think about is what are the assets that have been suppressed for so long mm -hmm. through colonialism? And then to say, how do we honor and, and raise and, and give voice 
to the voices that haven't been heard and to bring those in and, and to change the whole system. With the teaching, I see similar patterns. I mean, it's about learning about the students, what kind of languages do they bring to the school setting? How can we value and honor those languages? Um, there's so many tools now that help teachers, even if they're not, if they're only English speaking, um, that help with even not only translations, of course, you want to go beyond translations, but tools that can support students in making meaning, but then also valuing the students' languages. And, and I can build on that just with an example from my own work, because I, I do work um, in Indigenous communities in Canada. Um, Indigenous languages are verb-based languages, so they don't focus on nouns and matter. They focus on energy and flux and motion. And so in my own work as a teacher, uh, just listening to the way my students were talking about mathematics, I started speaking more in verbs. So we focused more on process and action mm -hmm. and um, less on the names of things. And mathematics has a tendency to nominalize things like nouns. Um, and so just that paying attention to the fact that I didn't need to be a speaker of the language, although I do speak um, Mi'kmaq a little bit, but I needed to understand the grammatical structure of the language to, to get at the ways of thinking that are embedded in that language. Mm -hmm. And when I taught using those ways of thinking, my students were better able to understand the mathematics. If you've grown to expect the annual publication of an NCTM Research Committee report, you may have realized that this year's did not come out in the traditional March or May issue. Initially, the committee was going to comment on the recent Catalyzing Change in High School Mathematics report, but... The Catalyzing Change document was not ready at the time for us to be able to comment on. So then we had to get find um, another plan. And so we took it upon the, within the committee, we started thinking about what would be um, some thoughts for a commentary. And that's where we decided to extend on some of the ideas from the political acts with the expertise that we had around the table. Before concluding my conversation with Dr. Celidon Petichis and Lenny Borden, I asked whether they had any concerns about the ways that readers might misinterpret their report. The piece that I worry about is that I hope that people don't interpret it as not including the critical piece because that's actually, it's part of the work. <laughs> um, so that's that's one of my concerns. And Lisa, I don't know if you have others. Yeah, I mean, I, I always know that how things get taken up and how they were intended or maybe not necessarily um, <laughs> congruent, but, you know, right. I I hope people will see it as, as a, really a call to to come to know communities, to come to know children, and to come to understand the strengths and gifts that they bring into the classroom and, and to build okay. from that. To start the academic year, we here at the University of Missouri had a lively conversation about the Research Committee's report among faculty and doctoral students. I'm fairly certain my guests would approve, and I look forward to next year's report in JRME in March, May, or maybe July. everyone. This is Kara Haynes from the University of Missouri. I am currently a student in the Math Ed PhD program here 
and you might remember me from a recent episode of the Math Ed Podcast in which I read parts of Jeremy Kilpatrick's recent review of NCTM's Compendium for Research in Mathematics Education. We thought listeners might enjoy learning about another perspective on the new compendium. In this episode, I will read excerpts from Dr. Narita Ellerton's review of the compendium, which was published in Educational Studies in Mathematics recently. To begin her review, entitled NCTM's Compendium, Finding a Balance Between Historical Details, Contemporary Practices, and Future Resources, Ellerton writes, The chapters of NCTM's compendium read as texts from the minds of experts, explicating, expanding, and sometimes dissecting the minutiae of their respective mathematics education subfields. That said, detailed information about all aspects of research in the field simply cannot be covered in a single volume, even one with over 1,000 pages. I begin this review by asking the question, does the compendium live up to the expectation that it be a standard reference work, which should be consulted by all mathematics education researchers? I will conclude this review with an answer. In the first section of her review, Ellerton discusses the structure of the compendium, noting that the hard copy is quite weighty at 2.3 kilograms, and that the book consists of five sections with 38 chapters written by 47 female and 46 male authors from 11 countries. She goes on to describe the book's formatting and layout, suggesting that the spacing between sections and subsections, or lack thereof, makes it hard for the reader to recognize where sections and subsections begin and end. To conclude the first section of her review, Ellerton considers whether the, the compendium is appropriate for an international audience. She writes, Given that one of the three specified unique features of the compendium is to provide an international perspective, one might reasonably assume that the editor, authors, and publisher hoped that the book would be read by an international audience. Yet the word math instead of mathematics is to be found at least once in almost half of the chapters, not including cases where the word math is used in direct quotations. Indeed, to refer to the International Math Olympiad or to the 1995 TIMS as trends in math and science study or to math teachers or to math education, to give just a few examples, is not appropriate for any scholarly audience, let alone an international one. In the next section, Ellerton provides commentary on the five sections of the compendium. Those five sections are titled Foundations, Methods, Mathematical Processes and Content, Students, Teachers, and Learning Environments, and Futuristic Issues. To frame her comments on these five sections, Ellerton notes that she has kept in mind three unique features described by the compendium's editor, Jin Fakai, in his preface. She quotes, the first is the synthesis of research with an eye to the historical development of a research topic, in particular, covering historical milestones of that topic. The second unique feature is that we have placed more emphasis on the methodological perspective. The third unique feature is a concerted effort to provide an international perspective on mathematics education. Given the short amount of time I have with you all and the amount of detail to which Ellerton attends, I'll have to skip over her commentary. But in the conclusion of her review, which I will read next, she summarizes key points. So in her conclusion, she writes, Throughout this review, I have noted the lack of attention given by the authors of many chapters to the historical development of their areas of research. 
but why should we be concerned about historical roots of a given area of mathematics education research? Surely, one might argue, it is sufficient to consider reports from the last 20 to 30 years, or 50 years at most. If mathematics education researchers are beguiled into such thinking, then one can convince oneself that one's research is making innovative contributions to the field when that is not the case. Historical roots deserve to be celebrated, for they are often provide important insights into the state of affairs, not only related to the time of events considered in the historical analysis, but also at the present time and indeed for the future. In mathematics education, cross-fertilization of scholarly research and writing between the subfields of mathematics education tends to receive little attention. Researchers become experts within but rarely across these subfields, and mathematics education, as it is manifest in schools and colleges, suffers from the consequences. A careful reading across the chapters of the compendium, rather than isolated reading of just a few scattered chapters, could represent a start in helping researchers become aware of the possibilities for such cross-fertilization of subfields. Although Chapter 27, for example, has as its major focus the semiotic and sociolinguistic literatures and discourse analysis, authors of other chapters rarely mention the key roles played by language factors in the teaching and learning of mathematics. One exception is Chapter 13 on Early Number, which includes a Level 4 heading, Language-Related Mechanisms, on page 316. What is sometimes lacking in the compendium is a genuine problematizing of issues within subfields. Mathematics education researchers need to identify and work towards solving the most important problems in mathematics teaching and learning. Are our methodological approaches maximally appropriate? What is a pilot study and how necessary are pilot studies? Must the theoretical framework for our study come before we have posed the research questions or designed the method we will use to collect our data? Surely, if that is our approach, then researchers become vulnerable to finding research questions and research methodologies and subsequently data which will fit their theories. If the chapters in the compendium are read unthinkingly, with the assumption that what is written on every page must be followed to the letter, then the compendium has the potential to mislead and lock the researcher into limited ways of conducting research which all but ignore the history of the field. But, if the compendium is read with an open mind and a questioning eye, then it can become a powerful companion for any researcher in mathematics education. And that concludes Ellerton's review. As I mentioned earlier in the segment, you can check out Ellerton's review in June's issue of Educational Studies in Mathematics if you're interested in learning more about it. Mm -hmm.